When you buy a used car, don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs. With Blue certified, nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford. We are Atlanta's Ford dealer. Six, four, Welcome, everybody, to episode four of the 643 podcast with me, your host, Dylan Short. As we have to admit, we got boobed. And by we, I mean me. I should have known it was too good to believe it when it was Bob Nightingale and John Hammond reporting that the CBA was about to be ratified. But because I wanted to believe it, I went ahead and believed it anyway. And now here we are. No baseball. Opening day pushed back, basically missing the first two weeks of the season as Major League Baseball and the Players Association continue to meet to see when they're going to get the season underway, if they can ever agree on anything. Because while it looked like they were close, apparently, as we've now seen come out, they really weren't all that close. It was just the owners taking advantage of a bad reporter and somebody who's in the pocket of the owners and one of the most prominent uh, agents in all of baseball, which makes me wonder why John Heyman got that wrong when he could have just bounced the question off of Scott Boris, but you know, whatever. Uh, The only thing that's important to note is that there is no baseball right now. And Rob Manfred, when he gave the press conference to talk about there not being major league baseball, you'd figure it's a very somber occasion. He should be upset. Well, not really as, um, Baseball's illustrious leader thought that that was a great time to be smiling and laughing, which just kind of bleeds over into the idea that the owners didn't want to start the season on time, which sounds crazy, like a conspiracy, but it's really not. Uh, You just have to look into it, and there's a, a reason why. Owners for years and years and years have claimed that the first two months of the baseball season are extremely unprofitable because it's early in the season. They're, the stakes don't seem as high, so not as many people tune in or show up to games, yada, yada, yada. Um, so essentially, the owners and Rob Manfred, the idea, and I think it's, I think it's a correct idea, uh, approached the negotiations never really wanting to start the season on time, which is why I've mentioned I thought for a while now we'd get expanded playoffs and they would cut the season to about 150 games. They might cut it to about 144 and just do away with the first month of baseball. Uh, But it it makes a lot of sense when you view in context of they locked out the players in December and did not give them an offer until 43 days later and then tried to institute this completely self-imposed crash course time to starting the season on time. It just doesn't look like some people who were negotiating in good faith, and clearly they weren't. As if you look at Ross Stripling, uh, I believe it was an Instagram post, but you can find that on Twitter as well. Ross Stripling, uh, one of the players uh, 
one of the player representatives for the MLBPA, um, leaked out and, and wrote down the things that changed from that night where it seemed like everything was going well to the quote-unquote final offer that Major League Baseball proposed to the players uh, the following day and all the things that they tr- that the owners tried to sneak in, things like a pitch clock, larger bases, things of that nature. Things that players were, were basically, whoa, we didn't talk about this. We're not going to approve something we didn't talk about. And uh, unfortunately, that means that the players said no and, and that baseball is going to be pushed back. And while that sucks for a lot of people, uh, selfishly, particularly me as a content creator and as a massive Braves fan and as somebody who is trying to start a new Braves podcast for the 2022 Major League season, uh, it is a good thing for the for the players of the sport. I'm not going to say it's good for the future of the sport, strikes or lockouts or however you want to phrase it. By the way, lockout is when it's the owners that institute it. Strike is when it's the workers that institute it. And that's a very key difference, by the way. Um, 1994 was a strike. This is a lockout. This is the, the owners at any point could lift the lockout. They choose not to. That is where most of the blame for this should lie and rightly does lie. Um, but... For the players, this is a very important thing is they've gotten kind of railroaded the last two CBAs. This is a chance for them to kind of get some, I don't want to say payback, but to kind of balance the scales a little bit. And if you really look into the proposals that were going back and forth, you'll notice one thing. The players are moving a whole lot more than the owners were. Certain things are considered complete non-starters like arbitration reform, uh, service time manipulation. Those were considered complete non-starters. The owners do not want to move the CBT, despite the fact that if it had stayed in line with the growth of revenue growth, it would already be closer to $300 million right now. Uh, but they have stayed firm and they want to be at 225 which is essentially the eight owners that don't want to pay anybody. That's, some, that's a way for them to keep salary down and be able to field weak, nothing teams for 30 to $40 million rather than actually spend money on a competitive product. That's what they're looking to do. That's why they don't want any talk of a salary floor. That's why they don't want any talk of a CBT, which has essentially become a luxury tax threshold when really it was instituted to kind of curtail teams like the famous Yankees teams uh, in the 90s and the 2000s of just going and just having gigantic payrolls. And it was instituted to, to kind of keep parity in the league a little bit. And what it turned into was a mark of, of – ownership groups and GMs be like, oh, cool. Well, I just we just all won't spend up to that point. And it kind of became a salary cap, just like you see in the NFL and in the NBA. It was never supposed to be. And that's one of the things that bothers players the most, because uh, if the CBT threshold is $220 million, it's it's rare to see teams even get close to the number, much less go over it. As a matter of fact, last season, the only two teams that were over the CBT threshold were the Dodgers uh, and the Padres. Everyone else, including those Yankees teams, stayed under that CBT threshold, despite plenty of money and plenty of revenue and, and so on and so forth. I'm not going to tell anybody how they have to spend their money. I'm not going to say that you have to get into that luxury tax threshold area. Um, but most certainly, to keep it in line with growth of the league and revenue expansion, it should be much higher than it is. And what the players were asking for was not outrageous at all. Um, but the owners, that was one of the owners' hard lines, and they they refused to even discuss it. So and I don't know how long it's going to take to get this going. I don't know if refusing to discuss topics like those, topics that were obviously the most important things to the players, were really more designed to say either you agree to this deal that is super heavy-handed in, in favor of the owners, or we don't start baseball on time and we can kind of start talking once we get a, the length of the season that we actually want to begin with. 
So I do think that I really, I do think that that was the goal of the owners and Rob Manfred was to delay the start of major league baseball. Never forget. These are the same group of people that literally have a $20 championship belt that they bought and hand out to the team that screws the players the most on salary arbitration, that saves the most money in salary arbitration. They hand them out a fake championship belt as a way of saying, great job of keeping all the costs down. These are not guys that have the best interests of the sport in mind. They see, they're, they're, and I don't want to say that. There's, there's some guys, I'm sure, some owners out there that do feel that way. Reportedly, that was one of the reasons why Derek Jeter stepped down. Uh, uh, and, and you can talk about Steve Cohen throwing around just ridiculous monopoly levels of money. Uh, which is certain, which was one of the key things about him buying the Mets, and one of the reasons why a lot of people thought a lot of owners in baseball were not going to be fond of adding Steve Cohen was because he was just going to start throwing money around and kind of make the rest of them look bad. Um, but clearly, this was a group of people that that didn't really care about starting the season on time. They claim that baseball is a losing venture, uh, and you're just supposed to take their word for it because they won't show you any proof, which. Should be a red flag to you because if it really is such a money loss venture, you'd figure they'd have no problem showing you the proof. Uh, but as it is, there are only two teams that are publicly traded. And if you look into those, uh, it would be pretty straightforward that it's not a losing business. Uh, if it were a losing business, these billionaires would not be getting would not be spending the capital to get into it in the first place. They didn't become billionaires by just throwing away money. They're guys that deduct literally everything from tax returns and so on and so forth. Um, so not great news. Uh, no real substantive talks right now. They are still meeting, uh, but but no nothing on the horizon. I think that this is probably going to put them a few steps back because players are obviously upset. You're actually seeing Mike Trout uh, putting posts on Facebook and Twitter about how upset he is. And Mike Trout is a guy that doesn't put himself front and center very much. Uh, you're seeing all sorts of players, Max Scherzer, talk about it, Ross Stripling talk about it, Jason Hayward has been uh, talking about it the last couple of days. Uh, you're, you're seeing players that don't normally speak out. You're, you're seeing them speak out now, and that's, um, that, that's important. And it's important that players get a good CBA because that, does, that, that isn't just – whether you think that, oh, well, you know, if they make $3 million, that's more than I'm ever going to see in my lifetime. They shouldn't be complaining about it. That's not really the point. It, you're not – you're not comparing. You shouldn't be comparing the players to you. You should be, you should be comparing yourself to your boss. Um, the players are what generates the revenue for these owners. Uh, you could replace the 30 owners with any number of competent businessmen, uh, and really doesn't even have to be that competent of just average businessmen, uh, and you'd see the talent level and the sports popularity remain basically the same. Uh, you replace the 1,200 players in Major League Baseball with the next best 1,200 players from anywhere in the world, and the product significantly suffers because these are the 1,200 best players in the world, and that's that's what drives the product. So, uh, unfortunately, it's not great news if you're a baseball fan like me. I don't see anything new on the horizon coming forward. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we, we can kind of get this resolved here soon and don't have to wait until June or July to start the season again. I'd like to see them get something kind of sorted out even shortening up uh, spring training since nobody really needs a full month of, of spring training. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there's no baseball at all. College baseball is started up and early on, there's been some fantastic college baseball storylines. If you haven't really gotten into college baseball yet, now is the perfect time to do so. Uh, guys like Tommy White, who are just blasting more home runs than most, uh, most college teams right now. Uh, just an absolute ridiculous freshman. Uh, looks a lot like Pete Alonzo. Dylan Cruz in LSU at LSU. This is a guy who, if he'd come out and, and not been so into going to school, if he'd wanted to actually go 
to a major league team out of high school, he would have been more than likely a top 10 pick. Uh, he should be the, the number one player in the, uh, in his draft class, whenever he's draft eligible, uh, LSU actually has two. Jacob Berry is another one, a lot of power, another really talented player. Um, a little closer to home, Georgia Tech. Kevin Parada has been doing nothing but mashing baseballs. He's got an OPS of nearly 1,800 right now. Uh, absolutely incredible. Don't know what he is as far as defensively as a catcher. He, his best position might be hitter. There might be a little bit of Kyle Schwarber to him, uh, but there's no doubt what he can do with the stick. He's been incredible to watch. Uh, really, ACC baseball as a whole has been really good. Wake Forest has been mashing homers left and right. They have that pitching lab. They've got some more exciting arms coming out. There's a lot of fun college baseball going around uh, going around the league. Arkansas, by the way. If you're an SEC fan, Arkansas is a team you should definitely be uh, watching. Lots of fun baseball. Minor league baseball starting to get is about to get underway as well for players that are not on the 40-man rosters. Unfortunately for the Braves, that means no Drew Waters, no Christian Pache, no Spencer Strider. Those are guys, if, if, if Major League Baseball wants to do something for some of these players, make it to where that the prospects, the guys who still have prospect eligibility, can at least play in minor leagues and not have to, not have to worry about being on the 40-man and not being able to, to play at all right now. That would be nice because you don't want to see Drew Waters and Christian Pache have to have two of their most important development seasons cut short because of the 2020 season with COVID and now because there is no CBA and then basically be punished for being good enough to be on the 40-man roster. So do something and at least allow these guys to be able to, to play and, and get better because you don't want to see these guys have to miss uh, or, or have a slowdown yet again in their development. It's just bad luck for two guys that are really talented but really need the development reps. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some more minor leaguers. We'll talk about at least one other minor leaguer uh, a little bit later in the show, but going on to the Braves discussions, um, wanted to talk about one guy in particular, and it's time that I do a little repentance tour. I did one when I was on TPS and when I was doing Locked On Braves, but I know my buddy Riley's Rakes on Twitter has been waiting for me to do one on this show, so uh, we're going to do my Austin Riley apology tour here. Uh, for those of you that have followed me for years, you'll know that I, and I, I never shied away from it, that I was not the biggest Austin Riley fan in the world. I thought uh, that the I thought that people were getting way ahead of themselves when they started saying that Austin Riley was a uh, future face of the team, and uh, he hadn't, despite the fact that he'd shown a lot of power in, in the minor leagues, and he'd had that incredible start uh, to his career when he came up in 2018. You didn't see it carry over outside of that. 2019, 2019 and 2020 were not good for Austin Riley. 2019 and 2020, he was pretty subpar, uh, and that's being kind. WRC Plus is under 90, which is not good for somebody who's a, uh, who you're counting on as being a middle-of-the-order run-producing power bat, uh, who we all pretty much comp to Troy Gloss. But last season, you saw Austin Riley truly break out, and it didn't start out that way. It started out pretty bad, for those of you that remember. It wasn't going well at all. It looked like more of the same from what we'd seen in 2019 and 2020. And then in that first Yankee series of the season, there was this moment, and it was this this early on in game, I want to say it was like game two of that series. Maybe it was game one, but it was early on in that series where you kind of saw it click for Austin. And after that moment, he just started raking, and he was he carried the team for quite a bit of time. Even when Ronald Acuna was struggling for a little bit, when he kind of went into a little bit of a cold spell, it was Riley that kept the team afloat. When Ozzie and Freddie weren't performing, it was Austin who paired with Ronald to keep the team at least nudging 500. And he just carried it over 
the entire rest of the season. When you look at what he did overall last year, it was a phenomenal campaign for him. 4.2 F4 out of a guy that actually graded out negatively defensively, if you look at uh, uh, StatCast, if you look at his outs above average, but who looked, to me anyway, looked like a much better defender than we'd seen in a while. He looked very... He looked very fluid. He looked athletic. He's got a crazy arm over there. He's got very soft hands. He he now looks like he's got a chance to be a real, real top of the scale. Uh, or I'm sorry, 20, I should have said 2019. When he came up in 2019 is when he started dominating. 2018 was Ronald Acuna. Um, but after after the dominations, when everything kind of wore out, uh, 85 WRC plus an 88. But get back to what he did last year, uh, where he, he showed that he's got an all-around game. And what he did was he found the way, he found that perfect balance. For a long time, for when he came up, it was all about the power, and there were crazy strikeouts. And then in 2020, the power seemed to vanish, but the strikeout rate dropped a ton. But with that, his power, his isolated power, dropped almost, almost 70 points from what it was in 2019 when he came up. What he did last year was he found a way to bridge the gap where he went uh, 33 homers, 107 RBI, to go with a 25.4% K rate. Now he had 23.8 in 2020, 36.4 in 2019. That 36 number, that's unsustainable. That's Joey Gallo levels, and he put together like a, a basically a Joey Gallo uh, level of, of average without having the Joey Gallo walk rate, because that's the other part of this. That walk rate has climbed when he was, uh, in 2019, when he was mashing, it was 5.4. Last year, it jumped to 7.8. Uh, or 2020 was 7.8. Last year was 7.9. His ISO climbed to 227. And the BABIP, the batting average on balls in play, is where you saw a gigantic difference. 2019, 293. 2020, 280. Last year, 368. And it wasn't outside of the realm of possibility that it was fairly standard. Once you dig into his actual underlying numbers, he hit the ball very, very hard. He lifted the ball well. He made good contact. He barreled the ball very consistently. And as I'd said on the last show and on a couple shows before, when you hit the ball hard, good things happen. The harder you hit the ball, the higher that BABIP is going to be. And that's a good thing. When you're hitting more out of the park, then your BABIP's going to be higher. Uh, one of the other things I really liked seeing from Austin was just the consistency across the board. I'm not going to shrug off that walk rate. I think a lot of those numbers... Are, are numbers that can that can really stay that strikeout percentage right around 25 percent that's perfect i think that that's a number that he can actually keep together now whether he actually has a better season than what he had last year i'm not so sure um going above four f word that's a that's a big season that that's not something that just anybody does right off the bat that if that's a career year then that's a very good career season for him 135 wrc plus I think he's got a lot going for him. And his numbers were pretty close. His Wobble was 379. His ex-Wobble was 364. So we got a little bit lucky, but he's still in the margin of error. And what you see with Austin is a case where not only did it click for him, but it is a great, a great moment for the Braves scouting report. Because I'm sure you've heard this story a million times, but when Austin Riley was being scouted by the Braves, or when he was getting ready to be drafted... The only team that had him as a position player was the Braves. This is a guy who is considered a pitching prospect across every other team in baseball. The Braves liked what they saw from him as a hitter. They developed him purely as a hitter. You can see that arm strength from when he was pitching. You can see it at third base. 
and it completely worked out. You're talking about an easy Troy Gloss comparison. Uh, really, the sky is the limit because you don't really know how great he can be defensively. Now that he finally had a full season at third base, his defense looked very good, looked very strong, and I think it's something that, that'll continue to go better. Um, but what you're seeing now is a player that might already be in the top five, but is certainly a guy who is on pace to ascend into the top five third baseman in all of baseball. Um, you're, you're talking about being around the same territory as Manny Machado, Jose Ramirez, Anthony Rendon, uh, Nolan Arenado, and Rafael Devers. And I could make a, I could make a good case that you'd rather have Austin Riley right now than Nolan Arenado. Uh, Arenado is the guy that has essentially been considered the best third baseman for quite a while now in baseball. Austin Riley was better than him in 2021. Um, he saw his WRC plus drop once he got to St. Louis. Uh, where Austin's climbed. He's at 113. Now, Arnado is still a premium defender. Anthony Rendon getting up there in age two. You could make the case that you'd rather have Austin Riley right now than Anthony Rendon, that Austin Riley is a better player going forward than Rendon, who hasn't been able to put together. Uh, he only played 58 games last year. Now, his last full season in 2019 was a seven-war season. If Anthony Rendon is still that Anthony Rendon, then uh, he's the best third baseman in baseball. But even looking at Jose Ramirez, you're looking at uh, a, a guy that is more in his realm of versatility that he can really play anywhere, do anything. He's the guy that you would say is the best third baseman in baseball right now. Uh, I'm not certain that Riley is ever going to be the level of, of defensive versatility that he is, but you can certainly put him on par with a Manny Machado. Machado finished at 4.4 F4 uh, with considerably better defense on fan graphs than Austin Riley, which would make a big, uh, big contribution seeing as Austin was better offensively uh, and had more power numbers and, all around had had just a, a really good season. I personally would call Austin Riley top five. I generally want to see them do it a second time before I just say that, yep, he's top five third baseman in baseball now. I would like to see him do it for a second year in a row before I officially crown him. But you're if you're talking about going around baseball right now, um, are named five better, five better third baseman than him. I'm not seeing it. And that's a that's a huge change. That's something that I did not think we'd actually see. I, I was worried that Austin was going to be one of these guys that always had a lot of pop, but always was kind of stuck in between pitches, where if he was focusing more on the off-speed, he'd be susceptible to velocity inside. Uh, and then if he was focused too much on the fastball, that he'd be too susceptible to the slider on the outside. But Austin has taken a very big, a very good and very detailed analytical approach to his at-bats, and it seems to have paid off big time. Listening to him on MLB Network, during the season talking about his swing change and how he approaches at bats and pitches was really fantastic to hear. So this is your, your welcome rakes. This is my Austin Riley apology tour. Uh, I, I am very happy with what I've seen from Austin. I think he's a guy you can go ahead and write in Sharpie into the middle of the Braves lineup for many, many years to come. He'd already be my number three or number four hitter heading into this season. Um, really regardless of who the Braves add. I think Austin is that level of offensive talent. And I think that what he did last year was eminently sustainable. We might, last year might've been a jumping off point or it could have been the high watermark for Austin. Either way, I think we're now seeing a guy who is very consistently going to start making all-star teams every single season, which is outstanding, outstanding news. Um, but switching gears here, talking about one highly touted prospect to another. I did say last week that this, this week we were going to talk about one of my personal favorite prospects that I've had in a very long time somebody that I've been beating the drum for uh, for a very long time, and that is Christian Pache. Now, this is one of the reasons I'm most upset about baseball not starting on time and being delayed and how players on the 40-man can't go to the minor league rosters 
because Christian Pache in particular, Drew Waters too, but Christian Pache in particular needed these offensive reps as much as any top prospect in baseball. Christian Pache defensively needs no work. It is otherworldly level of defense. It is the closest thing to Andrew that you will see. It is Byron Buxton levels of defense. He If you were to just judge him purely on defense, he'd be a platinum glove winner. He is that level of good. His his instincts, his routes are insane. This this notion, this knowledge that he has from the ball off the bat, it is it is almost Andrew Jones. Now Andrew was a little bit cleaner. Every once in a while, Pache will kind of misread one and he'll be slow to react to one, whereas you never saw Andrew slow to react to anything. Andrew knew as soon as the ball left the bat where it was going. But Pache is on that same tier of, of, of pre- hit or, or really a preternatural instinct he knows where to go he knows exactly how to make his body move to get there he knows exactly what time he's got he's very athletic he did put on a, a, a good bit of muscle the last two years I'm wondering if that might have affected his overall speed and quickness a little bit because he has been a little bit slower as a big leaguer than he was as a minor leaguer but he's thrown on about 20 pounds of muscle he really morphed morphed from a lanky teenager into a, a really strong body like a perfect body type 6'2 he's all up 215 right now uh big strong young man who still has the baby fat on his face he still hasn't really grown into his full man body yet uh, but clearly offensively he was not ready and this is one area where I was the most wrong I thought he would be fine uh to at least be you know below average but but good enough with the bat to remain on the big league team and he really just wasn't he was not ready at all uh he's got good power to his pull side he hits he can hit the ball very hard when he squares up and barrels it but he does not have good pitch recognition right now and that pitch recognition along with a big hole in his swing his first time up on the big leagues that resulted in in pitchers taking advantage of him uh he's got good power he he can he has gap to gap power he's got triples type of speed doubles triples type of speed uh, there, there are traits there that you like to see from him offensively, but they're not consistent because his pitch recognition is a major, major hole, and that's a bad hole to have. I'm, I'm still all on Team Pache. I think that he is the best of the three outfield prospects that we have. I don't think I think people kind of judge him on this metric of oh, well, he's not going to be a 120 WRC plus guy. He doesn't have to be. He really, quite frankly, he doesn't even have to be a 100 or 105 WRC plus level player to be an above average starter. That's how good he is defensively. He can essentially be Angelton Simmons and just be playably bad offensively and still be a a three plus ward type of player. That's how good he is. But there are traits that you see that when you see him in BP or when you see him in the box that you look at the guy and you say, man, he should be doing a whole lot more than this. And there was a gigantic swing hole that he had where he tends to, or at least earlier, he tended to lean over the plate and it opened up this big hole on the lower inside corner of the zone, which pitchers at the big league levels just started spotting up fastballs low and inside and he couldn't do anything with it. And then he was Kang like crazy on those. You've seen him make a few adjustments. He's opened up his stance a little bit more to let the ball travel a little bit deeper and kind of take away that major hole inside. Uh, but you were seeing things with the leg lift that he was kind of getting his, his timing was off because he just could not recognize breaking ball out of the hand and it was making him behind on velocity, uh, which was leading to him when he did make contact was making very weak contact. He wasn't barreling very well. Uh, and when they sent him down to the minors, he, he started adjusting his swing a little bit more looking 
almost identical to Dansby Swanson. It's a lot of the same problems Dansby had, by the way. Um, you could say, if, if, and I'll say this, if Pache gets to Dansby's level of offense last year, where, you know, it's still 97 WRC plus, but it's 20 plus homers uh, and it's a lot of extra base hits, that's perfectly fine. That, I mean, I would take that outcome all day, any day. Um, but that is something that you have to see him do. And while he did show some of those traits when he went down, and he did show improvement in AAA, finished with a 104 WRC plus, I believe, it wasn't consistent using the the or, or the gains weren't consistent. There were still a lot of at bats where he would still do uh, where he, he'd kind of fall back into those old bad habits that he was showing his first time, his first taste of the big leagues. It wasn't all the way consistent, but I think that a lot of people kind of underrate how difficult it is to make significant changes to your swing in the middle of a season. It, you, you fall into patterns for a reason because nearly everything about the game of baseball needs to be instinctive to be played at the, the speed at which you need to play to succeed at the big league level. So completely making adjustments in season, there are a lot of players that have done it. And I think that that kind of overshadows just how difficult it is. It's a very, very hard thing to do. It's something you generally see or what we're used to seeing players really do in the off season and come into spring training with a brand new swing. Just like I expect we'll see Pache eventually this year when he, when he's actually allowed to play, I think you'll see him with a, a markedly different look in his, in the batter's box than what you saw a season ago. Now, whether that means he's ready to contribute and grab that center field position from day one, I'm not sure. Um, the Braves did bring back Guillermo Heredia. They brought back Adam Duvall, who can play center field, as we saw, just in case. But I think the Braves are counting on Pache uh, to make a jump. I don't know if they're counting on him for opening day. I think they're cautiously optimistic uh, about him being the quote-unquote opening day center fielder, I guess I should say. Uh, I don't know what their what their plan of attack is. I think that spring training was going to be used to see where Pache was at, um, which does kind of make it a little bit harder when you're looking at what Christian Pache is and what you should what you should place on him as a prospect because there's still major major star potential here. If you get a guy that ends up being a 255 to 265 type of hitter uh, who can give who can even you know raise that walk rate who can be more patient at the plate which is a big thing where if he's gonna if he's not gonna be the best hitter you want him to be able to get on base and actually use that speed so if he can get you know even a 330 340 type of OBP that would be outstanding if he can slug you know mid 400s up to 500 looking perfectly fine 20 to 25 homers a year i don't think he's ever going to be a big stolen base threat the, he was very aggressive in spring training stealing bases but generally throughout his minor league career that's not been his forte he's extremely fast underway but it takes him a little bit of time to get up to speed i wonder if some of that was his actual swing itself kind of being a little bit more out of control not as fluid as you wanted to see it and maybe that kind of maybe that kind of had something to do with him being slower out of the box i don't know but he's not been a particularly great base stealer uh, throughout his minor league time. Maybe he gets better at it, maybe not. But I wouldn't count on more than 15 steals from him, similar to Dansby. I think he's a guy that, that can be, offensively, he can be similar to Dansby. Or he could be a whole lot better. Or, and this is the part that drags him down and dropped him all the way to 72 uh, in the Fangraph's top 100. There's a lot of Victor Robles risk to him as well. Victor Robles was a guy that at one point in time, never forget this, was rated as a higher prospect than Ronald Acuna Jr., Victor Robles was rated the number two prospect in all of baseball before he came up behind only Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, and you've seen at the big league level, Victor Robles can't hit. He can't hit at all. He's an outstanding defender, um, but he cannot hit to save his life. And that is the that is the worry when it comes to Pache because Robles is basically unplayably bad 
de- uh, offensively to even to even use his center field luck because he, he if the if the Nationals were actually good last year, Victor Robles could not have been starting for them. That's that's the levels of bad he was. That's the worry with Christian Pache. That's the gamble that you're taking. That's why I don't know that I'm willing to say anymore that the possibilities of him being 120, 130 WRC plus and being a true five tool superstar. I I'm I'm starting to doubt that a little bit more. I still think he's a guy that can be a a, a, a perennial all star, a guy that can be a, a, a star level of player. The possibility that he's that mega star is still there. Uh, but I wouldn't count on that as much as I would just count on him being average to slightly above if he can figure it out with the bat. Um, even if he's slightly below, I think he'll be okay. But even looking at Victor Robles, when you look at his stat cast page, it is the 1% percentile in, average, uh, in exit velocity, 5th uh, percentage in hard hit, 10th in ex-wabba, 5th in ex-batting average, 3rd percentile in ex-slugging, 6th percentile in barrel percentage. Those are horrendous horrendous numbers uh, a guy that was really bad last year that's the worry for Christian Pache is that he's too that he's too much Victor Robles to reach those offensive numbers I'm not ready to throw the towel in on him none of you should be either the Braves aren't ready to throw in the towel on him either but if you're talking about a high high level prospect that maybe you could see traded uh, I think Pache or Waters would be one of the would be the two but I think that there's a there's a possibility that if Alex isn't completely convinced that Pache uh, is more likely to become that three to four type war player than he is to be the Victor Robles style player. That might be a guy that Alex would be willing to move. I would hate to see it as I'm still all in on Christian Pache, but you got to give to get. And if somebody else thinks that Christian Pache just needs a small tweak or a little bit of patience here and there to reach that big goal, that is somebody that you could probably still get premium value for. Not as much as you could have before last season, but you could still get very, very high value for him. So, not quite sure what the Braves front office thinks because Alex doesn't really let you know what he thinks about prospects. But I'm seriously, seriously hoping that baseball not having their bleep together and having to miss some time here doesn't negatively affect him like missing 2020 did. Because I do think that a lot of last year's issues were missing an entire season in 2020. You can do whatever you want at the alternate side. It's not the same as seeing uh, multiple different types of arms all across the league. There's no substitute for reps of game reps, and you missed a whole game, a whole season's worth in 2020. I think that had a lot to do with 2021, and I hope 2022 doesn't miss significant time so that we don't have another missed year of development for Christian Pache and a lot of these other guys in the 40-man. But as it is, I'm going to go ahead and end the show there. Hopefully you guys have a great weekend. Hopefully you guys stuck with it. Uh, we're going to keep doing things the way that we do them. Major League Baseball can try all they want. They ain't going to get rid of me. Uh, thank you guys so much for those of you that have already been tuning into the show through the first four episodes. Uh, a lot of you guys have reached out. I love that. I love that you guys like the show. Hopefully we can get this thing growing and we can make this thing big because I love doing it, and I love being here. Thank, big thanks again to Dickie Broadcasting and 680 The Fan. Um, very, very excited about the show and everything to do with it. But for now, we're going to go ahead and end the show for the week. We will be back on Tuesday, hopefully with some more good news. But as for now, you guys enjoy your weekend. Be good. We'll be back again later right here on the 643 Podcast. That's all, folks. 
when you buy a used car? Don't be taken for a ride. Get Ford Blue Advantage certified at Wade Ford, Atlanta's headquarters for factory certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to wadeford.com. There you'll find a great selection of Ford Blue Advantage certified used cars, trucks, and SUVs. With Blue certified, nearly all makes and all models are in stock now. You'll find something perfect for just about any budget. Buy with confidence at the Wade Ford factory certified used car outlet at wadeford.com. Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.